And good morning and welcome to The Skinny for Friday, December 1st. I'm Mitch Perry, the senior political reporter for the Florida Phoenix, and I'm joined today by my two co-hosts, freelance reporter Ben Montgomery and creative loafing editor-in-chief Ray Roa. Good morning, guys. Morning. Hey, Mitch. Hey, so today we're going to speak uh, with a former Tampa mayoral candidate and business professional who recently received an MBA degree from Oxford University in England. We'll speak to him about his interesting journey later in the program. And we'll also take a moment to talk about what's happened with our major political parties here in Florida. Yesterday, you might have heard the Republican Party of Florida, we learned that their chair is now under investigation for sexual battery. But I want to talk about what happened with the Florida Democratic Party, where we learned that two of the biggest Democrats, if you want to call them that, who are challenging Joe Biden for the presidential nomination next year, Minnesota Congressman Dean Phillips and author Marianne Williamson, will not be on the ballot next March. And both are extremely upset about that. And with the Democratic Party, we'll address that. But first, you may have heard the story of the group of five young women from USF who are now known as the Tampa Five. These activists are currently fighting felony charges after protesting the state of Florida's defunding of DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion programs, back on March 6th. These five women, five women could face between six and 11 years in prison if convicted of felony charges including uh, charges of battery on a law enforcement officer, as well as other charges. Now, three of the five members of the Tampa Five are here with us this morning in studio. Gia Davila, Chrisley Carpio, and Lauren Pinheiro. Uh, The other members are Laura Rodriguez and Jeannie Kidda. They are not with us, but the three, Gia, Chrisley, and Lauren, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Great to have you here with us. So um, I guess I don't know where we would start because we, you've got some court. This all happened back in March, and we'll get into that. But you're going to be going. Uh, the trial is about to happen pretty soon. Is that correct? Yeah, so yes. our trial is actually starting on December 12th. That's when jury selection begins. And from there, the trial will begin. Okay, so this is finally going to happen after uh, months of in this in-between time after what happened, of course, on March 6th. So I guess let's, let's, let's talk about that because, you know, I, I, some of our listeners may know, but many, we can't assume people will know. But so let's tell them that the, uh, so you, you're, none of you are at USF anymore, but three of you were students back in the springtime. Uh, and I think this has to do with some of the policies of Governor Ron DeSantis. So one of you just pick it up and just tell us what happened on that date. Sure. Yeah, I can tell you a little bit more about it. So um, we're... Uh, me and Lauren are members of Tampa Bay SDS. Uh, SDS called the protest that day. And that's uh, Students for Democratic Society. Yeah, Students for a Democratic Society. We're a national organization. And at the University of South Florida, we were working to increase black enrollment on our campus. It's like extremely disproportionately low uh, in comparison to like the surrounding area of Tampa. Um, and so... Like in the past year, we've seen a lot of bills that are being kind of pushed through by DeSantis uh, that like attack the people in Florida in various ways from like anti-trans bills to uh, anti-DEI bills. So when we saw this bill, HB 999, which was the bill that attacks diversity, equity, sorry, diversity, equity and inclusion, um, as well as like tenure for professors, ethnic studies, um, multicultural clubs even. Uh, we saw it as like a real issue for students and we knew we needed to call a protest and we really wanted um, to get a meeting with the school's president to get like a firm uh, commitment, a firm statement that she was not going to follow through with this legislation um, because it's not what students want. 
And so we called a protest and we marched um, across campus into the like lobby of the building that her office is in. And we were calling for a meeting with her and saying like, um, we kind of like listed out our demands and said like, okay, we're here because. Um, and then after being in the room for like not even two minutes, um, we were like brutally attacked by the police, um, just grabbed and thrown to the ground. Uh, I was arrested inside the building and then Three other people were arrested outside. Um, and so we were charged with, uh, so after that we were taken to jail. We were charged with a felony of battery on a law enforcement officer, a misdemeanor of peacefully resisting arrest, as well as another misdemeanor of disrupting a school or campus function. And I was also charged with trespassing despite the fact I was a student at the time. Yeah, okay, so very serious charges here, and I understand at one point in this process, um, there's been, I don't know, the, was the prosecutor or came to you and said that you guys, if you admit to guilt, you, this, you wouldn't go through this, this trial process? Um, is, that, is that correct? So it was never guaranteed. Yeah. Um, it was raised, oh, we could potentially consider this if all the parties involved, including even the police, including... Um, the university agreed to it um, uh, of a potential pre-file diversion, and it was never guaranteed. It's like, we'll just begin discussing it. But first, what right. you have to do is say you did battery upon law enforcement, that um, SDS initiated the violence that day, and that you're sorry to each of the cops who were there. And these were cops who we had seen attack, grope, throw students around, put them in chokeholds, multiple chokeholds. Um, so we said... And we knew that, um, you know, this was a violation of our First Amendment rights from beginning to end. And SDS had done nothing wrong that day. In right. fact, the students actually did the right thing that day. So we said, no, we're not going to write any of these letters. Um, I'm actually a camp or I was a campus worker. And this um, is Chris Lee we're speaking yes. with here. Chris Lee Carpio. Yes. Um, I was a member of um, Ask Me Local 3342. I worked in the admissions office at USF um, and I had union protections and um, they had put me on paid administrative leave. So any such letter would have guaranteed that I'd be fired. Right, right. Um, so that's that's part, very important for the context because I think um, when learning that, 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 you know, because you guys are facing very serious charges here, prison mm -hmm. and you know the, the idea that if you pled you know guilty or whatever you, i guess not whatever but yes in the situation here yeah you get out of that so some people were saying like well, why are they pursuing this and going all the way with this but obviously it has very real life consequences mm -hmm. if you were to do that and if you don't believe that you were guilty of this then mm -hmm. why should you do mm -hmm. this obviously and commit yeah yeah, and at the same time, the students were also going to, through um, code of conduct hearings on campus where we could have been expelled. Um, so that was also a reason why we didn't want to write an apology letter, because if we admit, had admitted, admitted guilt on paper, that could have been used against us in these hearings, and we could have been expelled, right? If we said, we did this, we're guilty, they could have easily expelled us uh, because of that. So we had all of this going on in the background where they could have fired Chrisley, we could have been expelled, um, and that was also a big part of why we didn't want to apologize. Yeah, absolutely. Again, we're speaking with three members of the Tampa Five who are facing prison, potential prison charges here uh, based on a, an incident that happened at USF campus back in March. Uh, you know, I, by the way, I reached out to USF to see if they wanted to make a comment at this point. They did not. Nobody got back to me on that. So here we are. Um, let's see here. Uh, these court proceedings here. So you've gone through, obviously, so throughout the, the year, you've had, I know you've had some press conferences. Let's talk about, though, this has become... Um, 
And let me ask you this. I mean, so going back to what you said, Gia, you talked about all these policies that DeSantis has done. And he, as we know, as we've documented on the show and anybody's sentient has seen the governor has done a lot of things uh, in his higher education uh, that had some are considering very radical. And where is the pushback? You know, we the, the Democrats are very they're a minority, a super minority. So they can't really do much, although they fight against that legislatively. So it's on our college campuses, I would think that naturally you're going to see some resistance. I don't know, you know, how much we have seen. This is obviously you are seen to be a visible presence of this. And you have actually some of you have even traveled now out of the state to talk about this incident. And you, you know, talk about that. So you, you the Tampa Five has become kind of a thing nationally amongst folks who are paying attention to what's going on here in Florida. Yeah, so it's been a really amazing opportunity to get to travel and talk about our case. Um, it kind of started where people were just like inviting us to speak at all these events. Um, and so we decided we, we've we been organizing around our case ever since uh, we were arrested or charged. And so we wanted to raise our like awareness about our case to a national level because we really see this as a national issue. Like, of course, we've seen how these bills have played out across Florida um, since their passing. We're now seeing like the material, um, I don't know, causes of these bills. Uh, but I think people across the country are dealing with the same things. Like all through, I mean, just like Texas, um, for example, as soon as there's a bill here in Florida that attacks the people of Florida, there's a copycat bill in Texas that attacks the people of Texas. And so we had a lot of people who wanted us to speak about diversity because they were facing the same struggles at their university. Um, so yeah, and we've had amazing support through this. I mean, here in Florida and to a national level, we've had countless unions sign on, sign petitions to get the charges dropped for us. Uh, teachers hosting us, speaking in high schools and colleges across the country. So it's been a really amazing experience to meet so many dedicated organizers who are willing to fight to make sure that we do not see prison time. How about any elected officials? Chris Lee, yeah, go ahead. Yes, so um, oops. Representative Anna Eskamani has been vocal about our case, um, and we actually also have um, a webinar coming up with Maxwell Frost soon. Um, Congressman Maxwell Frost yeah. from the Orlando area? Yep, yeah. exactly, and I think that's on December 9th. Um, and then on our national tour as well, we also met with um, elected officials in other cities, which was exciting. Um, we met with city council members in Minneapolis. We got the support of even one of the board of education members, such as Adriana Cerillo. Um, uh, and we've gotten a lot of union endorsements as well. One of the most recent is um, United Teachers of Los Angeles has endorsed dropping the charges on the Tampa Five. And they represent 35,000 um, workers and teachers across um LA, and we've already gotten the endorsement to of um, West Central Florida here in the Tampa Bay area and also North Central in North Florida. So um, as far as elected officials that have been outspoken, I think that is it, but we're hoping to get more, um, and especially if people could send letters to the state attorney as well. I do think it's interesting that uh, you mentioned uh, Frost and Escamani, who are from Orlando. I'm not hearing anybody from Tampa or Hillsborough County here. Mm -hmm. No, no, uh, nobody wants to go on the limb there in terms, I mean, in terms of elected officials. We've I, had, yeah. sorry to interrupt, yeah. we've had a little bit of support here in Tampa. I know Angela Birdsong has been pretty vocal in support of us, and she's the... Uh, the Black Caucus Democratic yeah. Hillsborough Chair, I believe. Yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. By the way, again, uh, we're speaking with uh, Gia Davila, Chris Lee Carpio, and Lauren Pinheiro. Uh, and we will take some phone calls here. We're here with the, the three members of the Tampa Five to, for about 11.35 or so. Uh, so we welcome your phone calls at 813-239-9663. Um, it yeah. must feel good to have uh, all of that support. But I, w- I wonder, are you guys, um, where's your level of fear does that come up at night when you're trying to go to sleep tell us about that <laughs> yeah i mean it's definitely scary right we are facing five to ten years in prison that's a lot to sit with and understand but truly throughout all of this seeing the support across the country has been the main thing grounding us mm-hmm. um we can very clearly see through our speaking tour that we did across the country that desantis and his policies are unpopular and that people believe strongly in our case they believe that students shouldn't go to protest uh sorry shouldn't go to prison for protesting that we have a right to free speech and so knowing that we have the entire country really standing behind us showing support you know organizing call-ins bail funds all of these things for us that's been the main thing giving us hope throughout all of this process yeah. Have you been trolled as well, I imagine? <laughs> I mean, yeah. of course, right? Uh, mainly only on social media. I would say in person, there's less of that. Um, but it's easier to hide behind a screen. Well, Have you learned right. anything about that, about that experience being sort of trolled on social media? Like, who are these people? <laughs> I mean, for me, I, I see that the support we have is bigger than the trolls. And yeah. so that's what I try to focus on. Um, and I think the movement is more important than just someone commenting one random thing on Instagram, right? Um, so keeping in mind the student movement at large and, you know, all these protests that have been happening, even, you know, the day after we were arrested, well, they were arrested because I was added a month later to the case, but, um, the day How did after- that work out? Uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> tell us about that. Yeah. Um, so it was about a month later. Um, I was continuing to protest on campus cause the others were banned from campus. Actually, they were told they couldn't even go to class, couldn't speak to the professors, but I was still allowed on campus. I was attending protests. I was speaking to the press. I did a lot of interviews in those first couple of weeks. Um, and about a month later, I was sitting in a women's and gender studies class, which I find quite ironic, um, in hindsight because that's one of the programs DeSantis wants to shut down. Uh, But I was sitting in class when I got an email from the school um, informing me that they had sent a direct file to the state attorney's office, um, and I was being charged with the exact same charges as the um, other four. Are are the charges, are they... They're not all the same, right? Some of you have a little bit different charges, or or are they all the same? They're they actually the same. okay. Yeah, the same, and I'm uh, oh, sorry. Did you want to? Yeah, I was just going to say I I was originally charged with an additional trespassing charge, but it was since dropped. Um, and three three of the five actually have two case uh, charges of felony, uh, so two counts of the felony, which is why they have ten years. Whereas the other two, we just have me and Gia. We just have the one felony count, which makes oh, just it one five, felony, yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> which just makes one, it one year one. in prison. I <laughs> uh, not one year, so five, five years. Uh, let's go. To, we've got uh, uh, see a, a phone call here, David from Dade City. Hi, David. Yeah, you want to put your phone Hi, phones on? Uh, thank you for having these ladies on. Um, I just feel like uh, you know this country is built on protests, like the Boston Tea Party, and I mean if these women go to prison, that's like political prisoners, and it's the kind of stuff, you know, DeSantis is, is bitching about with, um, you know, China and Iran, so I don't know, he's he's, he's like a little uh, dictator, um, I call him DeSantis, because he, <laughs> he's kind of awful. <laughs> okay, yeah, David, appreciate the phone call. So, I, I would say this, though, I mean, some people who, again, not familiar with the charges, and I don't know how much you want to get into the details, but... Um, uh, again, what is it in terms of an officer battery on an officer? Is that one of the, uh, which is a felony charge? That seems pretty serious. I mean, you know, um, uh, so uh, that's where obviously you disagree and say that you guys didn't do that. And I guess you're saying that it was more on their part that was being the aggressor. 
Yeah, they were in, you know, our lawyer is saying that in the cases of cops who are using um, excessive force, and in our case, we think, you know, like people being slammed onto the ground and like they don't even, you know, they're like skinny and, you know, I'm referring to, <laughs> referring to you, Gia, you know, they, their bodies could, oh, and Lauren too, you know, is tiny. Um, people could have been seriously or were hurt that day. Um, in cases like that, you can actually, it, there is legal precedent for um, defending yourself. And what we were doing was just trying to get out of the building, you know, and we have a lot of video footage that shows that. So the cops think that, um, you know, like uh, trying to get away and like touching them in that process is the same as battery. And we don't agree. We think that we were just trying to get out of there. We think that we have a lot of um, video footage that shows that and absolves us. Um, that's why we're not scared to take things to trial and we want justice. Um, so, you know, we they're trying to say that we're the aggressors and that's just absolutely not true. The student that they grabbed when we were just standing around giving speeches was in the middle of talking when the cop just pulled her off her feet. She was in the middle of speaking. So as far as we're concerned, um, we did not do battery upon law enforcement. And uh, they're, they're writing on the fact that the charge says um, striking or touching. So they think any touching mm. is the same as what they did. And we think it's wrong. Right. Yeah. And uh, just for a little bit more context as well, like um, our lawyer has defined like the force that they used as deadly force. Um, like I was grabbed from behind Um lifted like six inches off the ground and slammed face first to the ground. Um, and the chief of police restrained me with one arm and groped me with the other. Like the things that the cops did were so vile and to charge us with battery on a law enforcement officer is just ridiculous. Yeah, and it's very clear to us that we were not a physical threat that day. Yeah. We were just a political threat. Um, we are not violent people. Like we, we were standing around holding signs. Um, so it's, it's clear to us that the reason why they went after us is because of our politics, right? That's why they added me a month later. Because if I had stopped talking to the press, if I stopped attending protests, would they have added me? Probably not. Has uh, USF President uh, Real Law made any comments about this case? No, she has not. However, um, and the day they released this report was the same day they fired me in violation of my union contract. Um, USF did release a report saying that they um, did an internal investigation of what happened to the USF protesters. Um, everything was all our fault, of course, is what they were saying. Um, but the police need more training anyway. That was how the report concluded, was the police didn't do anything unauthorized such as chokeholds, which is not true. We have, like, video footage showing, you know, everything that they, or not even everything, just the tip of the iceberg. And they still concluded that the police need more training. Yeah, um, she actually did also make one comment um, to, at this time, uh, it was, like, I think right before they, like, released their findings or whatever, uh, their internal investigation, but she went into a faculty meeting, which, again, at the time we were going through these code of conduct hearings, and some of the people who were deciding if we would be expelled or not were faculty members who could have potentially been in this meeting. But um, she basically said that the disruption that we had caused um, was comparable to an active shooter situation, and then it rolled out an active shooter protocol, which is a blatant lie because students are notified when an active shooter protocol is in, put in place. Um, and there's, like, cops in SWAT gear and mm. stuff. Like, it's very clear when there's an active shooter situation on campus. It's also, like, a real... Active shooters are, like, a real threat and something that has, like, 
devastated so many schools in this country. So I, I personally find it extremely vile that she would compare us to an active shooter situation. And again, I want to tell our listeners here, again, we're speaking with three members of the Tampa Five, Gia Davila, Chris Carpio, and Lauren Pinheiro. I did reach out to USF. Uh, you know, so people are saying, why? I'm not hearing USF's point of view on this, uh, you know, ask for a statement here. I know they released them uh, earlier in, during the this whole saga uh, to publications. I guess at this point is getting near trial. They didn't want to comment. So uh, we do have a listener here who wants to make a comment or a question here. Uh, Joe from Lakeland here on uh, The Skinny here on WMNF. Yeah, hey, uh, good morning. And uh, I want to commend the ladies for their their stance and posture against this oppression, really. And like the caller said before, you know, we're based on protest. Boston Tea Party is a great example. We celebrate that. But uh, police have a long history of filing LEOs, you know, law, battery on a law enforcement officer. It's kind of to cover their ass, so to speak, excuse my language. But um, you guys should file uh, aggravated assault charges on those officers is what I would say, that uh, your lawyers should should file those charges individually on those officers. Uh, for Interesting. Have you guys you. thought about that? Right now we're focused on getting the charges dropped, so that's our main pri- priority. Um, we just don't want to go to prison, but that's our main. Yeah, and I'd say that would be leverage to get those charges dropped, actually, for you. Thank you for the call. All right, thank, thank you. you. Yeah, thank you. So all this has been really public uh, for you guys, and, and you guys are in a unique situation because the person prosecuting you is also running for, uh, mm-hmm. is running in an election. And this morning, um, you were actually in the same room as uh, the state attorney, Susie Lopez, for the 13th District, obviously um, put in there by DeSantis at Cafe Con Tampa in downtown Tampa. It's an early morning meeting. What's it like to sit in front of the room with her? And, and what was the temperature like in that room? What kind of questions were asked um, in there this morning? Yeah, it was a really interesting experience. I mean, we asked um, in front of everybody some questions about why she's continued to pursue our case, um, why she's like doubled the felonies and everything. Um, It was a really divided room, I think. I mean, there were people asking really good questions about like, I'm trying to remember uh, some of the specific ones, but, you know, there was even somebody who asked her like questions about how how she kind of reconciles with the fact that she was she's not an elected official that she was put in place by DeSantis and she was kind of like well you know we can see what I've done here in Tampa but you know I don't really know what she's talking about with that statement because look at what she's done to us I mean normal students were young people I mean I'm 22 years old facing felony charges for simply protesting on campus like this is what Susie Lopez is doing in Tampa yeah, I mean, this, this is really hardcore. Have you, I know, again, you're no longer in st- school right now. Are, are you concerned? You have to be. I, it's kind of a silly question, I guess, but in terms of your future, in terms of your uh, career opportunities here with this, not only, I mean, obviously, we'll see how the court situation plays out. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm, so I'll just leave it at that. But, I mean, this has got to be something else overhanging you as you, uh, as you progress here going up to the trial date. Yeah, and it's why our stance is um, drop the charges. We're not sorry. We're not guilty. We have nothing to apologize for. Um, Our jobs shouldn't be threatened. Like the students' degrees shouldn't be threatened. Um, And I was fired in violation of my union contract. Like I was not given due process. Um, And we're filing a, we have filed a grievance that is going to arbitration because of that. Um, You know, the university is treating us like we're guilty, but we're not. And this has had uh, effects on us not being able to get unemployment, not being denied for housing. Um, People, you know, 
I was not the only one of the five who was fired that day. Laura Rodriguez was also fired that day. Um, now, what did Laura, yeah. Laura do the same position as you? or um, No, Laura wasn't union. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, Laura was working um, as a substitute teacher at the time. I think that um, people who do not support us may have actually called in what, you know, I think other people who didn't agree with what we did, went in and were involved in that. But, um, you know, this has had a huge impact on our lives. We want um, to be able to go back to our lives. We want students to be able to protest and exercise their First Amendment rights. We want to be able to go back to work. We want to be able to, um, you know, go back to campus and to (laughs) school where it's public property, like our money paid for it. Like I worked at USF for almost seven years and this is how I, you know, how I make my departure. It's not right. And uh, we want what's ours. As you travel the country, um, you know, you show up to a protest, you don't necessarily know that you're going to get arrested. But when we talk about cases like yours, I think people start to think about the idea, am I willing to get arrested um, today? We've heard a lot of it in, in the context of the Israel-Hamas um, protests. Um, as you travel the country and talk to young people, do you feel like your situation and the gravity of, of what you face um, has subdued or amplified and increased like the appetite to be able uh, to participate in civil disobedience and then even get arrested? Yeah, I think it's only invigorated the movement. Um, you know, the same week that we were that they were arrested, people had protests like in response to what what happened to us that day, um, and they've only continued to protest. About a week after our protests on March six, uh, students at FSU had the exact same protests where they went into their president's office and they got a meeting with their provost. So students aren't saying, "Oh my God, should we stop protesting? Like I'm scared. Like should we not go into the streets?" Students are asking us advice. They're saying, "How can we get a lawyer? What tactics did you use to fight this repression? How do you set up a bail fund?" So if anything, students are more. Um, invigorated to fight, to protest. They see that this is important. They know the history of protests, that protest is how we've won every major right in this country. Um, and I, don't, I think it's been very inspiring to see that people aren't afraid because of what happened to us. And um, obviously you're, we're focused on getting the charges dropped, but have either of you felt compelled to run for office? <laughs> No. Uh, <laughs> Not particularly. Yeah. We'll get to this trial first, Ray, and then maybe they can contemplate that. You know, I will say a uh, listener wrote in and said, you know, we met, I asked a moment ago about if anybody local uh, elected officials had uh, spoken out in support. Uh, we're, getting, we're getting told that Pat Kemp, Hillsborough County yes. Commissioner, has been supportive of the Tampa Five. Yes. Uh, she showed up at our last court appearance, actually, and spoke at a rally that we had outside. Okay. So, yeah, I, mean, I just think that's really, uh, you know, important to note uh, because, as you said, okay, so you guys were at this Cafe Contampa, which is kind of a, a very Tampa political establishment uh, in a room, uh, and you thought you felt that the room was divided. Is that, is that accurate in terms of your case? Well, people didn't talk about our yeah. case in particular. Yeah. Um, I think— they were divided about about the state yeah, attorney okay. about the state attorney yes yeah, um asking different questions um we got the sense that most of the questions were not you know she kind of got defensive and then she certainly got defensive when um our second question came around where we asked um how do you feel about your election prospects given that you haven't dropped the charges and we have endorsements from the NAACP ACLU etc yeah. and she just said oh, we'll see about that <laughs> basically she dodged the question um but we know that it was divided because after the event was done a lot of people came up to us afterwards to introduce themselves and give us their business cards um which we weren't expecting but you know like the things that we were protesting are not 
we didn't think they were controversial. Diversity programs like ethnic studies, things won long ago. Um, and I think, you know, we're not the only people interested in keeping them around. And actually, the DEI specifically, though, that is, well, I don't know. And you can tell me, because I know some of this came up uh, in 2020, right, with the George Floyd protests where uh, uh, colleges and also businesses, all, that all of a sudden became something that was important and they wanted to implement. And then we've seen this furious backlash from the DeSantis administration, as you said, and it's been echoed by other red states uh, specifically in terms of uh, combating those things. Uh, and it's interesting, though, because you will see that in corporate America, which doesn't have to necessarily answer to legislatures. Uh, some of them are, are doubly down on that, though. They still believe that's a, a, a principle that they want to continue forward. So this is, again, part of this I don't want to use a cliche red state, blue state divide, which was the echo of last night's uh, debate between DeSantis and Governor Gavin Newsom of California. But um, it seems like that is part of what's happening here in Florida. And again, I, I bring it back to the fact that uh, with super majorities in the Florida legislature, you can have uh, passionate speeches against these policies. And we have heard you mentioned in Representative Ann Ascomani has been a very articulate spokesperson against those. They don't have the numbers up there in the state. And the fact is, not to uh, sadden uh, liberals here, but uh, the state only continues to become more uh, Republican in terms of voter registration. It's at 680,000 now as of the end of October. That is the far biggest margin in the history of the state of Florida being Republican-oriented. So in terms of uh, these legislators paying a price, I mean, Ron DeSantis may be paying a price because his, obviously his presidential campaign is not going very well. Uh, but that is something that, you know, uh, is, is the way it's playing out, going back to DEI, which you guys were protesting about. Um, hey, we got another call here. Let's go to uh, Julie in Tampa. Julie, you're on the skinny here on WMNF. Hey, guys, I may have missed this, but are they collecting donations due to the fact I assume their attorneys and the cases going to be um, a lot of money. Yeah, is there a social media account or something where people can connect with you and click on some links? Yes, so we have um, a website defendthetampa5.org and that's five the digit um, and on that we have a donate page where people can donate via um, Cash App, um, Venmo and I think to people can contact us if they want to send a check but most donations have Checks been electronic. <laughs> uh, a listener wrote in, uh, ask, uh, and it's kind of the same question about a defense fund, but said, uh, any USF alumni helping out with that at all? Have you heard from former USF people? Not really? Okay. okay. Not that I'm, I'm aware of. Um, we've gotten a lot of support from, like, faculty and people across USF. Um, you know, the USF Faculty Senate actually um, had a unanimous vote against the same bill we were protesting, House Bill 999. Um, but we've heard reports from them that they're being encouraged to not talk about our case. Um, you know, like the, the students were told you can't communicate with your professors and they had professors who reached out to them and said, like, I know we're not supposed to reach out to you, but I'm, I want you to know that we're here for you, you know? So, um, I think we have a lot of support, but, um, a lot of people haven't been able to come forward. How would this have played out? Let's just say the police hadn't rushed you and the president had stepped outside of her office how would this have played out? Have you thought about that? Yeah, I think uh, it would have played out just like it's played out at like a lot of other universities, uh, FSU in particular. Like uh, we kind of said before, they had like the same action that we had and they got a meeting with their provost. Um, and like actually come to find out the university president wasn't even in her office that day. She had left for vacation early. So, you know, it's really disappointing that 
all of this, these attacks from the police, like she wasn't even in her office, you know, and, you know, these attacks on diversity programs, diversity programs are so basic. Like we were actually, we've been fighting for a long time to improve our diversity Mm -hmm. programs at our university uh, and to increase black enrollment. And so, you know, to be like ignored, disregarded for so many years at the university while we're, you know, we're concerned students who care about the student body, who really want to make a positive change on campus. Like we're not hateful protesters, like we're trying to make things better for students. Uh, How is that not in the interest of the university president who's supposed to be taking care of students? It's just ridiculous. All right, I think we're going to wrap it up right here. We have been speaking with Gia Davoa, Chris Lee Carpio, and Warren Pinheiro. They are three of the five members of the Tampa Five. They're going to be going to court uh, very soon here in the next few weeks. And the issues that you've been hearing for the last half hour or so, uh, they're going to be uh, defending their lives, so to speak, in terms of their, their personal freedom here for the, these protests they had at USF. So, uh, ladies, I want to thank you for coming to the studio. Great to talk to you, and the best of luck to you. Thank you so much for having us. Okay, we'll be back in just a second here. Hi, I'm Kenny Coogan. Join Annie Ellis and myself as we co-host the Sustainable Living Show here on your community-supported radio station, WMNF Tampa. On Sustainable Living, we bring you conversations with local experts on sustainable topics. Please come share with us every Monday morning at 11 in our talks about alternative energy sources, organic gardening, farming, and everything in between. Sustainability is a balance of people, profit, and planet. Together, we will make a difference. And we are back live here on WNS The Skinny here, 1139 the morning. You're tuned in here. We just heard from the three members of the Tampa Five. And now we're going to segue in a moment uh, to our next guest. But before we do that, I do want to mention something that happened yesterday uh, with the Democratic Party of Florida. Um, So uh, yesterday was a deadline for both the Republican and Democratic parties. uh, parties in Florida to submit who their candidates going to be running for president on the March 19th presidential ballot here in Florida. Uh, and uh, that is not, that's going to be Joe Biden, obviously. And there's, I think there's going to be other Democrats on there, people that I don't think, I looked at up the uh, Division of Elections website the other day, people I've never heard of. Uh, there are a couple, again, you know, Joe Biden's basically running unopposed here, but he's not completely, as we've talked about. And I think if you're following the news, you know that Minnesota Congressman Dean Phillips announced a few weeks ago, he announced back in the summer that he was hoping for some other more prominent Democrat to run against Biden. Because, folks, if you look at the polls, okay, Joe Biden is in trouble. And I'm not talking about the general election polls. I'm talking about the Democratic Party. Uh, You know, there's people just fear that they respect what he's done over the last three years, but they're concerned. Uh, Age is obviously a factor. The president just turned 81 the other day. Um, And so, anyway, so you've got Dean Phillips and also, um, but he is not going to be the ballot, okay? And why did this happen? Uh, Well, apparently... They didn't get their paperwork in time with the party. That's what the Democratic Party is saying. So both Dean Phillips and also Marianne Williamson, who you might remember, the author, the New Age uh, woman uh, who ran in 2020, she's running again this year, and she's very unhappy. She's in fact, they're going to having a press conference later today, um, conference call talking about this. I don't know if they're going to pursue a lawsuit. And look, if it, that happens, it's probably nothing's going to happen about it. I don't think, but I don't know. But I want to give you a quote here, Jeff Weaver. Uh, if you're a Bernie. Sanders fan. Jeff Weaver was a strategist with the Bernie Sanders campaign, and you know what the issues they had with the Democratic National Committee back in 2016 running against Hillary Clinton. Well, now he's working for Dean Phillips. He was very angry yesterday. This is a quote he said, quote, 
The Florida Democratic Party is engaging in the Politburo politics of places like Cuba or the old Soviet Union. Communist Party insiders made the decision instead of the instead of the people. After all that has been done to erode confidence in the democratic process since 2020, does our party really want the legitimacy of our nominee to be put in question by this corrupt, rigged process? Now, uh, the Democratic Party did respond to that. Uh, eating Giannano, Giannorio, sorry, she said, quote, we are dismayed by Dean Phillips's conspiratorial and inappropriate comments comparing the state of Florida to the Iranian regime as a part of his knee-jerk reaction to long-established procedures. This is unbecoming of someone running for the highest office. So uh, stay tuned for that. Maybe nothing much comes out of this. Uh, but I'm just telling you, if you're a registered Democrat in Florida, um, you're going to only have the choice of Joe Biden next year in March. Maybe you're happy about that. Maybe you're thrilled about that. And look, Gavin Newsom, he went out last night and debated, but he's not running. Uh, you know, Gretchen Whitmore's not running. These people are not running. So the Democratic Party is all behind Joe Biden. Just kind of interesting. Okay, we're going to move on now to somebody who used to, uh, was a candidate. Tilver, move over here. We, you've got plenty of room. I'm going to see your face here. Tilver Morrison, uh, who has been involved with uh, business owners, with messaging, a motivational speaker. Uh, and I got to know Tilver, of course, when he ran for mayor. Um uh, back in years ago. Was it 2019, I think? 2018, 2019, absolutely. And uh, kind of blew everything away, though, uh, in social media a couple weeks ago when we saw him posting a a picture of himself uh, in a cap and gown saying that he had uh, just graduated from Oxford University getting his master's in business administration. So, Topher, welcome to WMNF. Welcome to Skinny. Good to see you. It's good to see you again, my friend. Yeah. Yeah. So so just tell us about your experience, uh, you know, Oxford, man, and you're in your right. 50s, right? So this is kind of interesting. <laughs> you look yeah, like somebody just commented, over. I'm young in political terms. So I don't know exactly if that was a compliment or not. But yeah, 50, I, I went back to school at 52. So basically what happened was this, Mitch. Um, you know, I lost the election uh, badly. I came in dead last. And, you know, I personally think that when you fail at something in life, you should self-reflect, right? And so I just did some self-reflection. I asked myself, what could I have done Or what could I do that would better me for a future run next time? Like if there's a way where I go back to the public someday to say, give me a second chance, how can I show them that I've improved? And one of the things that kind of came up, and believe me, I know it was probably more of just a personal insecurity than reality, but I thought the fact that I didn't have any formal education was an issue. And so I thought, well, if I'm going to go back to school, why don't I go back to the, the number one ranked one in the world? Yeah. Yeah. Was That's that was that spirit? Yeah. That was that difficult. I mean, not in terms of like. Uh, I mean, financially, uh, just in terms. I mean, how does that work yeah. though? If you want to decide, I want to go to Oxford now. Yeah. It was well. I, I will say this. You know, as as, and I don't want to say I regret running for mayor at all because it really was one of the. It was one of the best experiences of my life and one of the worst. <laughs> but I will say this: that I probably wouldn't have got into Oxford had I not had on my CV that I was a mayoral candidate because Oxford's very well known for producing world leaders. And so the fact that I had that on my CV probably is the thing that got me into the school. But yeah, it was definitely, uh, um, uh, I have a whole new level of sympathy for people who suffer from student debt because I will tell you, Mitch, my student loan was, um, I had broken up into two pieces. The first half was, uh, I think it was 7.5% annual, Daily compounded interest, not annual compounded, daily. Uh, And then my second half, because of interest rates, was at 10% daily compounded interest. Don't you think, man, I couldn't sleep at night knowing that when I'd wake up the next day, whatever money I paid 
was wow. already back on interest. So I literally, uh, and I, I'm happy to say I, I, I graduated without any student loan debt, but that was a massive sacrifice in my life, just putting every spare penny I had toward paying that student loan off. Right. I, you know, I, that's, that's stressful. Telford, the, the ghosts of your campaign, obviously you think about them. I see them. I still see that box truck driving around sometimes that, that had your <laughs> uh, campaign on yeah. there. Uh, Macy is still here. Macy's here, by the way. Yeah. Macy the dog yeah. um, is here. You, you talk about self-reflection and, and that being the best and worst thing. I, the thing I remember from that campaign, and I know my publication chided you, called you, you know, best local Dennis Kucinich, but I remember you just being... Were well, you the one that, that did was, that? I'm the jerk that did that. <laughs> that was me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you were so jovial and like and happy, and I felt like you were your true authentic self in that whole campaign more than anybody else i think um in, in that race but, that was probably my problem that's probably why i lost but did you feel like that was something that hurt you yeah probably well I, there was a couple things uh, um i really thought you know and i went into it very naive thinking man you know if i go in with the right message and the right plan people will hear it they'll they'll respond to it and and i i hate to sound kind of like bittered but it boils down to two things money and notoriety. Right. Those are those name are the two things. Yeah. Name recognition and money are the two deciding factors. And in people also are good at a certain. Not everybody. And we've seen this like on a, on a higher election level, maybe more than ever. But you know the fact that if somebody has. Uh, office experience, you know, political office experience. Yeah. That's always, I mean, as a reporter, that's what you always ask somebody, but you know, like, what have you done? What have you been? What's your experience there? So you definitely have to have something if you're coming not from that experience to make a mark. Um, yeah. Right. I mean, well, yeah. And, 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 and that was the other, I think, critical mistake was that I wasn't as politically active in local groups as I should have been yeah. until I was already in it. And, and in retrospect, that should have been something I'd started maybe two, three, four, right. five years prior to start to win some of those people over, which is interesting bone of contention that I have now, because as a, as an outsider now looking in and kind of with that, you know, 2020 hindsight vision, I, I was blind to how, what I think overall from a systemic approach, how bad political interest groups really are for our society. T mm -hmm. Tell us more What'd about that. Yeah. yeah. I think we've got a lot of caucuses that are using that term, but they are, they're, they're political extremist groups and they're just disguised as a caucus for whatever it is, whether it's on the left or the right, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. And, and, and that's, it's getting them to where they'll have one agenda, they only care about that one agenda. They will endorse whoever they think can promote that agenda, even if they think all of their other policies are bad. It's their one thing. And probably the worst thing is that those groups make no apologies for not trying to get their candidate to win the election, but instead trying to destroy the life of those political opponents. And we've seen that. And it's just, that's, it scares me because I think we're going to be losing out on really good candidates for office because honestly, Mitch, what sane person would want to subject themselves to the ridicule, the pain, the humiliation? Because I mean, you know, when super PACs can go after people like Orlando Goods and call him a serial sexual harasser, yeah, when they know he doesn't have the money to defend against that, from which that lawsuit has since been totally dropped. I right, think. Yeah. Yeah. as soon as the election was over, just dropped. Right, it. right. Yeah. Again, if you're just tuning in right now, you're, we're talking with uh, Topher Morrison, who ran for the mayor of Tampa position back in 2019. Uh, Topher did not win. News alert: uh, Jane Castor, of course, won re-election earlier this year for second term. Uh, but Topher then recently just graduated from uh, Oxford University. So we're kind of here, just kind of hearing about his journey here. Uh, if you want to participate, text us at eight one three or emails, I should say, at 
DJ at WMF.org or uh, call us at 813-239-9663. Before I go back, though, we did get some more text here about the Tampa Five uh, and just want to quickly read if hopefully the women are still listening to us. Um, Somebody's writing back and saying... uh, um, he's, he really respects what they're doing. He says, when I attended USF in the mid-90s, class of 96, it was unusual to ever see a USF cop. There was never such an incident as the one they were involved in. This is a typical case of overzealous police hurting people's lives. You have uh, right on your side. Okay, and then uh, let's see. I think we have something else here, but let's go through. Okay. I was wondering uh, if uh, Topher at Oxford, they offered any classes on campaign finance reform on U.S. elections. Uh, not, in, not in my degree, but in the political science degree, I'm sure they have plenty to say with that. I got my MBA, so it was really mainly business and leadership and entrepreneurship. Uh, Topher, what's so interesting about you is that you are not from here. You are originally from Spokane, Washington. Yes, uh, Pacific and, Northwest. And, and yeah, uh, it's kind of near Seattle there. And so Shout I remember when you, when you came out here, but your whole, one of your, your stick, if you will, was like how you've loved Tampa. Like when you came here, which is kind of weird to me, okay? But anyway, you came out here, because I'm a West Coast guy, um, but like when you came out here, you were like, oh, I got to come back here. I'm going to make my life here. Yeah, yeah. Why? Tell us about that. Yeah, I, I came out for, uh, I was actually doing a speaking engagement in, uh, I think it was like, um, I don't know, Palm Beach area, something, I'm not sure. And then I had another one in Atlanta the following week. A buddy of mine had just moved to uh, to Tampa. So he met me down at Palm Beach or West Palm. Uh, can't even yeah. remember where it was at. Uh, and uh, um, we came back and I stayed here for three days and I fell in love with the people of Tampa. Uh, I always say this to people. I say Tampa is far enough north that we have that southern hospitality charm, but yet we're far enough south that we have the big city of Miami vibe, and you cannot find a city anywhere in the world, at least anywhere in this country, I should say, um, that has that down-home hospitality, but yet big city vibe. And I just love it, and that's why I I fell in love with the place and moved here three weeks later after that vacation. I'm just going to go ahead and ask it, Topher. You talk about self-reflection, yeah. you know, all these things that you want to work on, but we're also talking about how we know you from running for mayor. So, yeah. Yeah. will you run for mayor again? Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. No. Uh, no. Uh, well, Any kind I, of you public know, office? I, they always say never say never, right? So, uh, but it's not my intention at this point in time to ever get into political office. I just, I think the risks are too high now. We, we've we have gotten so far and so divisive that it just doesn't make sense. Like, I honestly, and I don't want to say, I, I'm nervous to say this because I don't want to, to reflect poorly on our current leadership that we have. And I'm a fan of a lot of those people that are in, in mm-hmm. office. But I think we're getting to the place where the only people who are going to run are narcissists that just have such a massive self-internal reference that they don't care what people say about them. And, and that's kind of bad because I think we want our, our civic leaders to actually care what other people think. Interesting. I mean, um, why do you say that? Uh, if I could de- go back a little, I know you want to talk about anybody specifically, I, I guess, right. but but we're, uh, we, that's a kind of an interesting comment. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's just that, like like I said earlier, people don't want their component, their 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 candidate to win as much as they want to destroy the life of mm-hmm. the other people. So they win by default. Mm-hmm. And well, I, you see, I, you even see that. I mean, I, would, I dare say that one of the problems with you know our presidential election for next year. People from all sides are saying they do not want a Donald Trump, Joe Biden election. People right. are saying this yes. all over the place. And that that's what we're going to get, which is only going to disaffect people, yeah. I think, you know, to give a damn. It's really disheartening. Um, yeah. Although they would think that, you know, probably President Trump, they don't, you know, there's going to be a lot of scare tactics about that. And it's more about running against somebody else. That person's bad versus whether I've yeah. got a lot of great going uh, on here. Hands down, the majority of people in our country are going to be plugging their nose when they— 
check that ballot box, whether it's for Democrat yeah. or Republican. I don't know of any Democrats that are like, oh, yeah, I want Biden. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're like, well, yeah. You know, right. He's probably well, let me ask, let me and I think that's a sad state of affairs, by the way, that are that like we're saying literally the best candidate we have as a Democrat is an 84, 80, 81, 81 uh, year old man that is clearly showing some signs of dementia or old age. That's the best we can do. Come on. Let's get Pete Buttigieg in there. That's so my, what that's my pony, man. I, I take Pete Buttigieg any day. I love that guy. So what is a politically, uh, civilly minded guy like you with ambition and um, free time and yeah. um, the will to make things better? Got your hat handed to you in the mayoral race in Tampa. What does a guy like you do to improve things, if not run again? God, man, I don't know. I wish I had a good answer for that one. But uh, but I, I think it's it's the closest person who I think's making kind of a movement toward that would be um, – and I'm blanking on his name now as soon as I get to it. But uh, um, uh, the presidential candidate uh, – uh, um, the former entrepreneur, uh, tech guy. What's his name? Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, oh, uh, Ramaswamy? No, 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 no. Oh, on, uh, on, uh, on the Democratic side? side? Not this year, but you're saying previous year? Why can't I think of his name? Yang? Yang? You're talking Yang. about Yang. Oh, Yang. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I think Yang is probably the closest thing where he's coming up with this forward, forward party. Forward party, right. Uh, I, I think, like, this is one of the things we talked earlier before the show was, like, you know, like, what's life like with an Oxford degree? And the one thing I will tell you, hands down that I was so grateful for in that education is they got me to appreciate the value of systems thinking. And, and, and to the point now where I'm going to be asking every political candidate, have you ever had any training in system thinking? Have you ever read Donella Meadows book, Thinking in Systems? Because what, if, is, what does that mean? I don't even yeah, know. Yeah, system thinking is, is essentially it's, it's looking at the world from a complex set of systems and how there are self-reinforcing loops inside a system that's either virtuous or vicious. And those self uh, uh, self-reinforcing loops make the problem either better or worse. And to, to like, like the biggest concern is when a politician goes, it's easy. No, that's one thing I learned. There's nothing easy. It, there's nothing easy in politics. Yeah. There's, oh, it's a very complex system. And one action in this side is going to create a completely different set over here from second, third, fourth order consequences. And to be able to think from a systems approach and identify what is the vicious loops, what are the virtuous loops, and how do you eliminate those vicious loops? Here's an example. Here, here, here's an example. Um, our city seems to just love to remove the benches for homeless people, yeah, yeah. right? So uh, and all that does is create a vicious loop where they just go somewhere else in greater concentration, and then they do something there to get them to go somewhere else without actually trying to create a virtuous loop, which should actually minimize or reduce that. Same thing with, like, you know, I'm a big passion for uh, adoption for dogs, right? You know, you look at uh, 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 shelters for, for dogs, they go, well, we just need a bigger shelter. That's just a, that's going to be a vicious loop. It's just going to make more capacity. It's like uh, more, shel- more more shelters for dogs is the same as more lanes for cars. It just mm-hmm. creates more traffic, right? But what you should do is go, wait a minute, 30% of all dogs at a shelter are from people returning their dogs. Why don't we develop a system that when somebody comes to the shelter, they say, what, would you want to keep your dog? Yeah. What if we gave you $10 a month for food or $20 a month? It would be way cheaper to actually support those families with a dog than to take the dog, right? So looking at, like, what are those supportive yeah. loops? You and uh, p- piggyback off of Ben a little bit, you're, you're kind of getting to it. Um, your dog, you spend a lot of time on the ground. You walk, man. You are walking. <laughs> I haven't had a car in 13 well, yeah, yeah, years. Right. Yeah. So when you look at Tampa, yeah. you're not a passive person. 
what does Tampa need right now? And if you say transportation, identify a specific problem and maybe how some we could fix that. What well, do you feel like Tampa needs the most right now? Um, okay, so um, – well, I would go back to something on my campaign is that we still yet have developed an identity. We do not have an identity that, as we as Tampanians have said— I thought it was Tampa's next great—or America's great next city. No, right? Forbes already yeah, said that. That's yeah. what we've been saying for 20-some, 30 years, right? Yeah. Yeah, we got a Forbes I, I, article. I, that's I, it. I remember on the front end of the uh, Creative Loafing had a story covering Mark Maron's comedy bid in Tampa just before COVID started. Uh-huh. He said, yeah, Tampa— it's like it almost happened. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> so accurate. The city that always wants to be best but never wants so to be do, first. How do we find our identity? And who are the stakeholders? Uh, it, I, I know who the stakeholders aren't. The stakeholders aren't the political activists and caucuses and groups that are out there vying for a specific thing. It has to be bipartisan. It has to be something that whether you're red or blue or independent, we can all stand behind and get behind. Uh, and, uh, and, and I think it happens through some policy change to where it starts to grow a little bit and then does its own pivot. Um, we, we, we were talking about like you were asking what, what can we do? Like what, what can somebody like me who's – civic-minded actually do. I think what we need to do is develop a group or an organization that has one agenda and they can vote either Republican or Democrat, but they only vote for candidates that, that, that uh, um, pledge to bring forth in their term term limits that are very strict and not vote for anybody who is against term limits. And if we do that in about eight to 18 years, we could see a shift politically if we're only voting for people who commit to that. And then if they don't push for it during the campaign, they get voted out the next time and you bring somebody else in. And I think if we had a group that just didn't care about political ideology, but just simply said, we need to get rid of these lifelong politicians, that's how we're going to turn this Now, we do have term limits on a local level, I believe, right? Uh, yeah, but the yeah. problem is we have term limits that allow you to just hop from from, yeah, oh yeah, from right. District we, to district to district, so you didn't get office people for twenty been, something years. Yeah. Somehow we had term limits for that. Yeah, yeah, we don't get to name any names. Yeah, no, well, no, it's Ken Hagen, the Hillsborough <laughs> County Commissioner. Let's <laughs> yeah. be honest about that. We will. October, we're almost out of time here, so um, we should bring it back sometime because I think we can really talk more about ideas here, which I think is so interesting. And um, I'd be honored. Yeah, well, uh, but and, and now you're back doing your normal business stuff here, or you know, post uh, MBA from Oxford. I'm still just resting at this point in time. But yeah, I mean, I've got my company personifying. We do pitch development for business leaders that have to communicate with clarity and credibility. So I still do a lot of that on the side. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm I'm breathing now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, again, it's so great to have you here. And uh, I guess that's going to be it for us, essentially. Uh, Mitch, I want to say it's great having you here. Uh, You know, I, I... one of the things that I did enjoy about running for office was meeting people in the press. And there were a few that to me really stood out as being objective and fair-minded. And you were one of them. Oh, and thank I, you so I will much. always consider you a friend because of the, the, the way you Just trying to get elected. Yeah, that's it. Topher Morrison. <laughs> Can't wait for you to change your mind on running. Uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you to the Tampa, three of the Tampa Five who joined us today. Mitch Perry is here running the show. Ben Montgomery to my right. Skip Sassy on the boards. Irene on the phones. Please stay tuned to WMNF Tampa because the hostess who loves you the most is Joellen Schilke is in Studio One preparing the greatest audio art magazine ever, Art in Your Ear. See you next week. Bye.